We're live, Mike. Hello. With one person watching now, I actually think I'm the one person. Right, okay, good. <laughs> right, so IRC are live. Let me just check on LinkedIn that that is in the stream. Well, that needs to turn it off. Are you trying to create some feedback? Trying my hardest to create outrageous feedback like I just did in the video. So whilst Jonathan's just bumbling around with that, he normally says, how's your week been? My week's been all right, actually. The highlight of it is that we've still got our troller. Cloudminster. Come on, Cloudminster, please. Come on, Cloudminster, show please us who you are. Please turn up. We want you to come to... Mike is basically... A... Mike asked me earlier on in the week, he said, is it aggressive that we've invited the guy to the office? I, I said, so. effectively, you've offered him outside. Well, let's hope he doesn't beat me in. Yeah, absolutely. So we're here, we're live. Or she. Good week, Mike? Yeah, not bad, actually. Pretty you've good. had a really good week, haven't you, really? Yeah, I have, actually. Um, I, I'm going to meet a client on Wednesday, and I don't know whether he believed me when I said this, but I have been trying to deal with this client, the company, not the individual, the company, for 18 years. You have. We both have. And I finally meet him, the sales director, on Wednesday. I've broken know, it down. I don't know whether, if you're watching, I don't know whether you believe, believe me when I said that, but that is 100% the truth, and I'm, I just can't wait. I'm absolutely delighted with Every it. Every dog has his day, Mike. I'm not a dog. But you know what I mean. I do, yeah. <laughs> right, so this week we are on chapters 10 and 11 of You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar. Yes. Okay, before we begin, if you like what you're watching, you're enjoying what you're watching, make sure you hit the like button on LinkedIn, make sure you hit the share button on LinkedIn, make sure you hit the like button on YouTube, make sure you just hit a like button or a share button somewhere. Right, let's begin. Chapter 10. So, I quite enjoyed chapter 10. I have to say, these two chapters I felt, um, and just for our audience, what we've got here is chapters 10 and 11. One is called Don't Do Anything Unless You Know Why You're Doing It, and chapter 11 is called Stop Selling Features and Benefits, both of which I actually really enjoyed. I feel like in these two chapters, uh, it, the book has got serious. Do you know what I thought, actually? I thought that when I read these two... We've got to the point now. I thought what he should have done was a little bit like how I was taught to do a PowerPoint presentation, which was on your agenda sheet, as I was taught it, at Howard Jackson, you know, 15, however many years ago it was. I was told to say, this is what I'm going to tell you. This, 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 this. And then go through each item individually. Whereas I feel like this book, it's taken me ages to get some good juice. But I finally got to a bit of good juice, actually. Yeah, we've, we've got to the nitty-gritty, haven't we, Well, now? if you should have told me it was going to get like this, then I would have maybe read the other chapters <laughs> and enjoyed them more. Yes, but I, I think we're really into but some useful stuff in the next two We chapters. are. What I don't... I'm really starting to dislike him, actually, I've got to say. I originally created the upfront contract for my own defence. And I just thought, from who? Yeah, do you know, I didn't notice... I thought, from who? Who's going to attack you? And it really has come... Uh, 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 has really cemented in my mind... That actually, this guy didn't like selling, I don't think. Well, no, he's very clear about that. Yeah, and I don't like that. I don't like He's very clear about this is the selling system for people who don't like but selling. But I don't like the incongruence of that. That that Yeah, I get that. That's a personal thing from your perspective, yeah. isn't it? But I did like this chapter. Yes. So, um, he starts off with the three no's to... He, he, what he talks about is what he calls an upfront contract. Yes. Isn't it? Uh, and what he's alluding to here is... To be fair, 
what I, I kind of had a bit of a hallelujah moment with this at 5am this morning, which was, this is stuff that somebody taught me years ago, and I didn't realise... It's realize, very new, this chapter. Yes, it's very how I tend to it's operate. It's very you, it's very you. You know, my, my natural modus operandi with a client has always been, hi, great, what would you like to talk about today? My intention today is that I'd like to get an understanding of what you're looking for. If you feel that uh, you're happy, that I understand what you're looking for and what we've got to offer suits what you're looking for, I'd like your agreement that we'll move that forward at the end of the meeting. And I didn't realise that I was upfront contracting. Yes, I, and actually, you just summarised the chapter really well there with that example. Can we move on? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, but I, and I didn't, but I didn't realise that that's I, I, that's I that my that's natural. A, I, think, I think that's a personality trait more than anything. I don't know, and I, you know, I can't. Because because let's get it right. You taught me how to be a rec sales recruiter years ago. You never taught me that. No, that's not how I do it. It's because that I'm comfy with that. It's just a personality thing. But for those of you who haven't read the book, you might be reading along with us. What Jonathan has just explained is the exact concept, which is putting it out there, what you hope to achieve, and then working towards that achievement, be it a little thing, a big thing, or, you know, yeah. or, any, or anything, be that, you know, I guess at a macro level, this is you could say to a client from the first call, listen, in 12 months' time, I'm going to want you to sign a contract here. Yes. At a micro level, it's going to be, today we're going to discuss three things, and at the end of it, I hope we can progress to move forward. Have you, ever read, have you ever read New Solution Selling by Keith Eads? Yes. There's a lot of contracting in solution selling. Yes, there is. But I thought New Solution Selling also then had a bit which was about... Um, Task. About then summer... Oh, God, my phone's going, actually. Schoolboy error That's pricing. bad, isn't it? That's bad. Schoolboy error. That's bad. That's funny. That's a schoolboy error. We'll all just wait whilst Mike turns his phone off. And now I'm nervous that my phone's not off. Well, let's be clear. It was somebody who wasn't watching the show. <laughs> um, not, not a fan. But, but I thought New Solution Selling had this concept of, I've just met you as a client. We've agreed that we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and we've agreed that this is, your, this, this is my understanding of your requirement. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Also, in Solution Selling, there's a lot more create creation of for example project agenda so it's a little bit i found this particular book i found it a little bit what's the word i'm looking for a little bit tactical and a little bit sme uh maybe it's lacked a bit of an enterprise feel for me solution selling is a lot more about winning in the enterprise and winning much more strategic deals and as a little bit more, but the, I think there's a lot that's great in here. So he talks a lot about here, no mutual mystification. Uh, any communication you have with your prospect must have a clear understanding about what happens. No wishy-washy words, no smoke. Um, I like that no wishy-washy words. I agree with that. You know, one of the things I really liked, I think I'm a couple of pages on from you, is it something that you have asked people who work here to do, which is the upfront contract works by telephone too. So stage one is get an appointment. So yeah. get an appointment. Then stage two is confirm the appointment. And he goes, before we hang up, is there any chance you might have to change this appointment? Yeah. Now that is absolute dynamite, I think. That. I've been trying to teach people that for years. None of them listen to you. Absolutely. Well, it's, for example, when you ring up a client and they say, can you give me a call back at six o'clock? And the amount of times I've tried to coach a colleague to say, okay, next time that happens, say to the client, 
I'd be delighted to give you a call back at six o'clock. Equally, if I call you back at six o'clock, I'm going to be putting that in my diary as if it was an appointment. And in exactly you... the same way as if I was going to get in my car and come and drive and meet you, because six o'clock is a little bit later on the day. So can I ask that you'll be there at six o'clock, please? And nobody ever has the nuts to say that. that, that ah, you took the words out of my mouth. That, that is what, that's what it's all about. They don't have the nuts to, well, he to say uses the word. they fear rejection. He of, uses the word no wishy-washy words. And what I, what the word, the, the phraseology I've often used with people that I've worked with as employees that haven't done that is people often tend to be mealy-mouthed. They do, yes. We By know definition. somebody just like that. We do know somebody who's a bit mealy-mouthed. Wouldn't surprise um, me if he was Cloud Meister, actually. <laughs> maybe Cloud... No, I don't think Cloud Minster... I don't think he'd be Cloud Minster. You know. Well, it, anyway. So yeah. the, the other point that I wrote down next to this point is... Something that I think is really valuable is when you're canvassing your way through your prospect list of, you know, whatever it, whatever canvassing you're doing, which I know people don't like to do, and I know I'm mad, but actually I quite like it, is if you were to put the phone down, and just before you put the phone down, you said, listen, Bill, um, I'm going to call you back in three months to see whether you're recruiting IT salespeople. Will you give, me a, will you give us a chance at that point? I wonder what your pipe, how different your pipeline would look and how better qualified it would be. Yeah, but what he's saying is, actually... That's an upfront contract as far as he's concerned. Well, no, what he's saying is it's not an upfront contract in as much as the client saying, yes, I'll give you a go, actually is a little bit like, yeah, 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 I'll give you a go. Oh, well, maybe I've not explained my point then. So, so, so I think what happens is very often you put the phone down and say you'll call somebody back in three months and then you have made the assumption that they will then deal with you because you're calling them three months later. Whereas if you were to say, if I call you in three months' time... What would it be that would stop us working together? That's what he's talking about, I think. Yeah, absolutely. He's about being much clearer. And the point he's making is that uh, it's very easy to get into, yeah, great, yeah, I think we really should talk in a few months' time. Give me a call in a few months' time, it'll be great. The point he's making is actually if you're using up from contracts, you're not sat there thinking, wow, that's a really great potential pipeline yeah, item. I agree. And I did like, and, and I mean, let's be clear, a lot of the examples he gives are just examples of that. But I like this bit as well. Under the header, give your prospect the opportunity to say yes. He goes, all right, Robin. This is speech. All right, Robin. You know that no is acceptable to me. You tell me no and it's over. I'm out of your way. But let's suppose my answers fit what you're looking for. What happens then? I thought it was really elegant and really well written that. Yeah, okay. Uh, and then he, he talks about control your fears of the upfront contract. Oh, this is uh, another one. Control your fears. I, I'm not afraid of anyone. But you're not... It's interesting, isn't it? Because I was talking to a friend of mine in the car this morning about... Rugby? He said, he said, we were talking about... We started off talking about rugby and then we started talking about work. And he said, what are you doing today? And I said, do you know what? I'm at the point where I've come to the end of a lot of projects and my plan is over the next couple of weeks I'm going to be doing a lot of cold calling and... and rebuilding pipeline because I've, I've really got through a load of big projects and he went whoa how do you feel about cold calling and I said well mate there are much harder ways to earn a living I remember having the conversation with you this morning yeah, yeah much harder ways to earn a living I'm going to sit looking out over the vista that is Leeds you know I can see for 30 miles out of my office window I've got a beautiful coffee shop downstairs serving amazing artisan coffee I'm going to sit on my blower smashing my phone drinking talking brew, to me talking to you bantering I've got you know, good stuff on the TV. So, you know, I, Google. Can, I can watch my TV. I can play a bit of Xbox in between calls. Life could be a whole lot worse. Yeah. And I know that at some points I, I'm good enough that something will break. Um, so 
that kind of make I think in a way makes us a bit anomalous. I think it makes but, sales uh, people a bit anomalous, really. Yeah, as a na- and that's not me sort of saying I'm a killer salesman. I just don't, don't mind. I think sales is an odd job. Yeah, it's an odd thing to do to say that's easy. But then you look at what other people do to earn a living. Some people have got much harder jobs than that. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. Much tougher, much nastier, much more horrible. Well, imagine being a builder in winter. Yeah. That's a lot harder, isn't it? Anyway, let's get back to this book. Um... So, so, I mean, the chapter just basically goes I, I liked, on. I liked his little five rules. I, the, I, I like this. An, an upfront contract with a prospect must contain the following five elements. Objective, time allotted, our role to get us there, prospect's role to get us there, and a conclusion. So, objective, this is our starting goal, time allotted. I thought that was really great. And little things like, fair enough, he's put here, we train salespeople to use Microsoft Outlook's meeting invite function to restate and solidify the five elements of the upfront contract. And I just put... Fair enough. Good stuff, that. Really useful. I can't actually find that in my book. Do you know book. what? I'm going to try that next time I book an appointment. I'm going to actually send an upfront contract in, my, in the meeting request next time I book a client appointment. What? So uh, I thought, fair enough. Do you know what? You've used a load of my time reading your book. Uh, I like it. And then, you, as you pointed out here, there's the bit about confirming the appointment, which we've been trying to get people to do. Um, and then he starts talking about pain. Are you on the next chapter now? No, I'm on page 153 in my book. Because uh, the next chapter is all about pain, actually. Yeah, but he starts getting into it. The process requires you ask a variety of questions and listen while the prospect does most of the talking. There should be no doubt in your mind about the prospect's needs. If there is, you've got to ask clarifying questions to clear out the smoke. And I like his concept of the smoke. I think your book must be quite different to mine in this chapter because that's just not how mine is laid out. Well, yours is a slightly older one. And then uh, he goes on, he asks a a point here. Liz, I'd like... Here, I'll I'll just go over to me. Liz, I'd like to ask you some questions to make sure I can understand your business and to make sure I can understand your concerns. You probably want to ask me some questions to see if we're the right kind of company for you. I like that. I thought that was a very elegant... Opener of a meeting, actually. It did make me think about this guy, actually. I'd let him write a script for me. Yes. I've put here... A lot of my objections about the stuff... Meet the criteria specified. Yeah. And then he's on to upfront contracts. And then the other one, Maggie, it's no problem. I can email you some literature. But before I do, I need to ask you a question. Okay? And I like the the, the way he's put here. Notice the mini upfront contract... You've made an offer to do something and send literature, but you need to understand the situation better and thus you want to ask a question and you're asking for the prospect's acceptance. That's the point about the chapter, though. All the examples are the same. Once you get the basic concept, it's a fairly simple thing, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, he reiterates, and it's like I said, I started off the conversation with an example of an upfront contract and he just then gives you 20 of the same example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the bottom line is, what he's talking about is... Before you do anything with the client, you get an agreement of, I'm going to do that and this is what's going to happen. And you're always creating the next stage and agreeing that next stage as part of the process. So, for example, with the second interview, we often encourage candidates to say, uh, if we have a good meeting today, uh, I'd like to think that you'd be able to offer me the job so that at the end of the meeting they can say, we agreed that at the start of the meeting, if we had a good meeting, uh, you'd be able to offer me the job. We all agree that we've had a good meeting, therefore, can you offer me the job? Yeah, not many of them say it. Not many. The problem with this is, 
And I think the problem with this process, if you said to me, what do you think? I'd say, I think it's great, but it requires a leap of faith and a pair of nuts. Yes, but I do think if you did do it, you'd be successful as a consequence of it. Yes. It's a good system. But a lot of people will feel that this is aggressive. Yes, potentially. I, can see I think a lot of the people that we work with will say it's really aggressive to do that. I think you know, will, for example, a lot of the people in the healthcare space. Oh, you took the words out of mouth. I think it will vary sector to sector. Yeah. I think, I think, lot, the, I think the security guys will be all right with it. Security people will be all right with it. I think in the in sort of general you, business you know, you're dealing with that software. job that's selling to the finance market I think they'll be alright with it business yes. applications they'll be alright with it but if I look at for example a lot of the people I work with in healthcare I think they'd be they'd run a mile from a lot of this technique that's interesting isn't it yeah I think you, you do you know that's an interesting thought isn't it that actually this is a one size suits all um, sales methodology but it's not it's suited towards particular industries I think it would suit people who are very process motivated wouldn't it yes you know if you saw bpm software or something like that he'd say <laughs> is that my phone again yeah i'm really sorry about this <laughs> I, thought, he'd I, thought say, I switched it off he'd say it, it will work in any sales opportunity and in any sales environment i don't think it's that interchangeable actually I think your client has to be quite a commercial person. And no matter how elegantly you word that, even if you're very elegant in certain market sectors, I think, well, actually, I have a theory, which is in healthcare, if most of my clients ask me my genuine opinion, I'd say stop hiring healthcare salespeople, hire private sector salespeople, and bring somebody in to teach them about the NHS. But that's a different conversation, um, and it would cost us a lot of money, so I'm not going to mention it too loudly. Um, I think that in... Certain markets, like, for example, healthcare, I think a lot of the candidates will run a mile from that. And do you think they would be right to? Because would this offend their prospects? No. I think that in healthcare, and I've talked about this on, on, on a pint with JG before, is I think people tend to go native. So what often happens is uh, you can get a... If you've been in healthcare for 10, 15, 20 years and all you do is spend all day walking around hospitals selling to clinicians in the NHS and people who are in management in the NHS, sooner or later you're going to start behaving like the people you sell to. And so, therefore, mm. are you really going to stay strong enough like an oak tree that you're still using your Sandler selling techniques 15 years hence? No, people by nature over a period of time, weaker. That, that wasn't really the question. Well, it wasn't the question. The question was, if well, your wife as an example, if let's say she swallowed this manual, she took it into the healthcare sector, do you think it would work? Yes. But I don't think most of the people in the healthcare sector as salespeople will use it. No, no, but that wasn't the question. The question I think is, if you put 10 healthcare salespeople in a training room with a Sandler trainer that sold software to the health UK NHS, I think there'd be a mutiny in the room. You reckon? With this, yes. But I think if you got... Why? Because you perceive that this could be perceived as being aggressive? I perceive that this will be perceived by those people. I don't believe by everybody. I think if you got 10 ERP software salesmen in a room that sold to FDs of medium-sized enterprises, mm. they'd go, 
Whew, I like that. Do you know, because I think this would suit our market, because I think we're fortunate in dealing with salespeople that they would be very comfortable with the concept of this. Yes. I think you could say that to one of our clients, they'd be fine. Yeah, I think a lot of clients, would, our clients would respect that. But I think it, 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 there are certain areas where this just... Mm. It, it might not be accepted by the people they're trying to get people to get involved in. And okay. then what did we think of the next chapter? Stop selling features and benefits. Um, I, yeah, I thought... What did I think? Uh, I mean, I've got all my notes as I go through it. I did... Overall, I did like it. I, I think the, the overall... I, I think the, um, the heading misleads one what the chapter's about, actually. Yeah, he's gone for a, he, he's gone for a very pithy heading yeah. to, to suck you into reading the chapter. Yeah, yeah, he's very wishy-washy, actually. But actually, what this chapter is, if, you know, fundamentally, you can sum it up as, as saying, sell to people in pain, the more likely to buy stuff. I think he's 100% on the money. Well, he basically said, work out what your customer's problem is. Yes, but, and then but, sell that. But, but you've got more chance of selling to your customer if your customer's in pain. Yes. And, I, he's, you know, the guy's 100% right. And get rid of the ones that aren't. Yes, he's right. He's, right. he's 100% right. Bang right. You know, what's interesting is it, it would be good to see, well, I think I'd find it interesting, the chronology of sales books written. Because I wonder who said it first. I wonder whether it was him said it first or Miller Hyman said it first. Because, you know, this is obviously quite an old book. This is like a 30-year-old book, I'd have thought, but reading it. Yeah. But none, um, of, none of this is new technology, It's is not it? new, but I wonder, if, I wonder if he was the first person to say it or not. What, whether he was the first person to invent pain. Not invent pain, but to, to use that as a selling methodology. Because when well, you read it now, I think, yeah, 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 whatever. But I know that I think, yeah, yeah, whatever, because I've read it in a hundred other books. Yeah, I mean, when I was at Parcel Force, when I was 23, I was taught spin selling. Have you ever done spin? No, I've read the book. So spin stands for situation, problem, implication, need. Yeah, I've read the book. So the whole point is you, you get into, so tell me what problems you're having at the moment. And, and at that point, your job is to intensify pain. Which is this chapter. Yeah. So, uh, all right, okay, so you've got a problem with deliveries. Yeah. What does that mean to you? How does that affect you? Now, actually, what we're effectively talking about is the same methodology written in different ways by a load of different authors. That's my point. In, so, in, if you read Miller-Hyman, New Conceptual Selling, what they're talking about what's is... What's wins and results? They're the, talking about wins and results. In spin, they're talking about implications and needs. Correct. And here, if you were an NLP, what they're talking about is chunking. So you would keep saying, and what does that mean? Uh, well, that means that we can't get the deliveries out on time. And what does that mean? Well, that means I get shouted at. And what does that mean? Well, then I feel under pressure. And what does that mean? Well, that means I'm unhappy at home. And what does that mean? Uh, and obviously, there's a slightly more elegant way of doing it. But it's all about chunking to yes, the point at yes. which so, the client's squirming, saying, please, God, please help me get me out of this terrible hole in a perfect world. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And they're all, they're, they're all right. I just wonder who wrote it first. And, I mean, the, the whole book goes on and on and on about that, actually. And I've got to say, the whole chapter, sorry, I liked a lot of the whole chapter, really. Yeah, really good. Really good. Um, continue probing until you arrive at the critical state when prospects are willing to pay anything, do anything to solve their suffering and hurt. They now feel their problems. And I like the, the point that he's made here, which is you can go too deep into pain and embarrass the prospect. Thought I think that happens useful. quite often, actually, that. And do you know what my favourite bit is in this chapter? No. Is the bit where he's finally, and somebody in one of the books we've read thus far, has finally used the word, pan camera to Johnny, active listening. I underline that. Funny that, isn't it? Yeah. 
finally, I just wrote yes next to it. Um, and what did you? So what did you make of this one? Point one: Tell prospects that you understand. Didn't like. I thought it was rubbish. Don't agree. It's just far too superficial. That. I agreed with the other four points though. What? Repeat the prospect's words. Paraphrase the prospect's words. Provide feedback. Well, uh, I actually put. Um, like that. No, I don't like the provide feedback about what the prospect is feeling. Why? It's wrong. It's not. That's not active listening. As a some as a, as somebody who's trained as a Samaritan and as a childline listener, well, I've trained as a Samaritan, but that is not active listening. Actually, active listening. You don't provide feedback. What you would do is you would ask for a confirmation of understanding. So, for example, if you are a listen, if you're actively listening, you would say, "Okay, please, can I just go over what I've listened to to make sure that I have understood?" You wouldn't say, "It sounds to me like you're frustrated with the bugs in the program." What you would say is, "Please, can I just go over what we've said so I can make sure that I've understood?" I see. I because it sounds to me is your interpretation and is actually inaccurate listening. Yeah, but technique. it sounds to me is the only thing wrong in that sentence. Yes, and actually, a great that's line. Only, a great line when listening is, "I'm hearing that you are frustrated." Is empathic, but actually, I think that's a mind read, and you will piss some people off with that. Because some, I think you're really, I think you're really on the on, on the edge there of of this just of being too pedantic about that. Because um, because I think let's I'm say, being pedantic about it because I'm coming from the frame of the fact that I'm vol- I volunteer as a listener, I and think, I know that. I deal with situations where the, 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 some of the listening I do, you can really get bitten on the arse with that. You can, yeah, but I mean, I've been in Samaritan as well, but you're, you're not talking about people who are considering taking their own life at you. <laughs> you're not the right. Or about to self-harm, no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so my point with this is, I think that if you sat and listened to a client for 15 minutes and then you turned around and summarised what you had listened to, by saying, it sounds to me like, I think that then that prospect would feel like you had listened to them and then you would have gained credibility. Oh, it's better than most listening. That's oh. different gravy to the most listening that most customers get. Exactly, yeah. And uh, uh, absolutely in a different universe. Personally, I'd like to see an awful lot more expansion and I'd actually like to see somebody write a selling book that is all about listening. Well, just go and work at Samaritans. Yeah, and, and we talked about this last week about the whole Samaritans and the childline training methodology and and and, and the counselling model. Actually, not enough sales trainers talk enough about listening. Do, do you know what's interesting about this? About 